Everybody and welcome back to Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. I'm Sam Wilson. Joining me as always, Zach Schneider and Troy Hensley. Today we're going to be talking Rogue One, a Star Wars story, stepping back into a galaxy far, 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 far away. Spoilers ahead for Rogue One, but first we're entering uh, February. We're getting into February. We're about a month into 2022. Troy, how's your year going so far? My year so far is going well. I am doing stand-up classes at Flappers. I am uh, working there as well. And I am in the middle of the last rewrite of my script for my feature length, James and the Journey to Freedom, which will be filmed in September in Georgia. We will be in Georgia Uh, most of the month of September. I'm excited. I cannot divulge names, but the director, his name is Kurt T. Jones, and he's won an Emmy for one of his documentaries, and he has just brought so much to the project. It's more imaginative than I could have ever... I'm not going to say thought of, but I will say it's more imaginative than than I ever had the balls to write. I have always thought of budget, and he comes in and he tells me, stop thinking about budget, Troy. You're good. Do this. And he has he has approached some larger names to me. They're not huge names right now, but they're larger names to me. A couple of them are older actors that I've wanted to work with since I was a child. And um, we'll see. I can't wait until I can announce someone has taken the roles. Daniel Day-Lewis. Meryl Streep (laughs) Samuel L. Jackson Uh, (laughs) Polly Shore Zach (laughs) what's what's going on with you what's on on the horizon for you at the moment yeah just uh, keeping those grindstone and uh, trying to keep my eyes and ears open for what's to come absolutely yeah, I'm wanting to, to get back into the the swing of uh, maybe maybe shooting some more uh, some more shorts, writing some more scripts going forward yes. as well. So I might nice. might kind of buckle down and start doing that as well. Yeah, things are going well with the uh, the the new the new band as well. I'm feeling I'm feeling really good about where that's where that's kind of headed. I think it's uh, I think it's I think that that has the potential to go to go some places for sure. I would like to say I absolutely love the name of your band. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. fucking awesome. It's the first time uh, Gas Station Boner Pills is the name of it for for our listeners, but it's the first time that I've been in a band where immediate as soon as we formed. A, a name was mentioned and there was just there was just no discussion about like as soon as as soon as gas station came up it was like yeah that's it like <laughs> yeah there was no argument there was no infighting this is actually the the most like painless uh experience of, of being in a band i've been in where there's been no debates over like what kind of band are we gonna be what, you know what direction creatively we're gonna go in like we just immediately went in like we know what we are we know exactly what we're going for uh so check us out uh i i know we usually do plugs at the end but i'll say uh with gas station boner pills like follow us on instagram at the band of boners possibly by even by the time this is released our first music video might be out at that point uh, for our, our debut single Black Friday, so keep an eye out for that because that's that's coming out very very soon. So I, I 
I think uh, I think everybody listening to this, I think you're, you're all going to enjoy it. So keep an eye out for it. Certainly will. Let's go into Rogue One, a Star Wars story. We're going to start by going through these characters. Jen Erso, uh, played by uh, Felicity Jones, is kind of our main lead. Uh, I don't know, what, what do we think of this character? Like, I was one of the people who had read the novel uh, Catalyst before, which came out about a month before the movie came out. I actually read it before the movie came out. And I so I went to the movie with a bit of backstory on Galen and Jen and Lyra. And I think that that really changes the... Because, the, like, the, the first scene, instead of being introduced to it, if you read the book ahead of time you're coming back into continuing the story of these characters who you've already invested in. So, but I don't know. What, what do you guys think of, of Jin or so in, in the context of this movie? Whining. <laughs> <laughs> I, I prefer Ray. Ray's a good character. Uh, Jin or so whining, whining. I'd like to think of another word. I like her. She's a decent protagonist. It's one of those odd things where her stated, story of who she is what she did doesn't always seem to fit her actions because her actions seem pretty typical for a young adult um who is looking for a place to you know be something to do looking for a connection and you know kind of feeling they didn't have much love her stated backstory is that her father was taken from her it's not really a choice on his part in any way uh, that she then joined a group of extremely violent and very hardline rebels for a while that she still would have joined if she hadn't been abandoned by Saul because, you know, because he cared about her and didn't want her, you know, to get hurt. And also because, you know, he's afraid the group might get discovered because she wasn't... That's the thing with Saul. We'll get to him later, but he does tend to work multiple angles at any given time. So her story tells us that she should be a little harder, that she should be a little more understanding of people having to do horrible things for a good cause. And that doesn't really seem to fit her actions because she's, it's not bad that she wants to push people to do better, but she's extremely judgmental of people who have done the same or worse than, or, you know, done about the same kind of horrible things as she has done in her life at some point as well but yeah overall i like her i like felicity jones performance um i do agree that the character on paper is maybe not my favorite character in the movie you know i i i thought that she was bland the first time i watched the, the first couple times i watched the movie i've grown to like her more as i've rewatched the movie and that's actually something that like i i i kind of feel that way about a lot of characters in this movie that they they, they grow on me as i revisit it and i think that there's a lot of emotional beats that actually do genuinely really land for me when it comes to Jin in this film. Uh, like the scene where she, where she's watching the hologram of, of Galen and kind of, you know, breaking down in that moment. Like that, that, that's, that part always kind of gets to me while I watch it. The scene where uh, Galen's dying in her arms, like that scene always gets to me. And, uh, and ultimately, you know, her, her death and everything. Like, like there are, there are scenes in this movie that really do, uh, affect me in, a, in a, an emotional way. It goes back and forth. Like she's, she's just not. She's not the most memorable or exciting protagonist at the end of the day. But that's kind of how I feel about all the characters in the movie. If I'm being completely honest, which I'll kind of, I'll kind of get to that as as we go through. I do really like Galen. I'll, I'll touch on Galen Urso, her father, played by Maz Mikkelsen. 
I do like his character, but the reason I, I brought up Catalyst is because I kind of think a lot of the reason I like Galen is because I read Catalyst, and I'm not sure if somebody who hadn't read that book will necessarily have that, that, uh, cause like, I mean, he's, he's good in, he's a good character. He just doesn't have a whole lot of screen time, really. I love his character. I think he does a good job. I love that there's a character that decided to create a weakness in this yeah. horrible weapon. Um, I think he's brave. I would have rather have had, I I would have rather have had it from his point of view than from Jen's because my favorite scene with Jen is the one at the very end where you see the nuclear parts of the explosion come up and they're on the beach. And I know that whiny ass bitch is about to be dead. Oh, <laughs> I like Jen. <laughs> well, she's not my favorite, but <laughs> yeah, She's not my favorite, but look at I I read the book after watching the movie, and I actually really liked him the first time, too. Um, I think it was smart casting Mads Mikkelsen, just because Mads Mikkelsen is fantastic, but also because he's really capable of giving the gravitas of this character and mm -hmm. giving the... His performance, even from his very first scene, is able to give you a lot of his history, um, how he feels about this. Um, the struggles that he's going through. You're right, he doesn't have the most screen time, but the screen time that he does have is used very effectively, so that yes. there's a reason when you see him, when you meet him, there's a re you understand why so many characters are obsessed with and constantly thinking about Galen Erso. You do get the sense that he is brilliant and so incredibly deeply hurt and lost, um, especially without Lyra and without Jin, that he's willing to become someone horrible so that he can give people a chance to save them, stop this project in the end. And I do agree. I like the idea that the flaw of the Death Star is not just like, what kind of idiot didn't realize that there was, that was there? And more, yeah, someone very intentionally put that there because yeah. they realized this thing is horrible. I love the idea that he did that. I love the idea that there's a character that's like, okay, if they don't come to me, they're going to go to someone else. So I might as well do this so that I can have control over it. And while I have control over it, I know exactly what I'll do. I'll fuck them up the anus. Yeah. Yeah, it was so necessary to have that line in the hologram of him saying that it's only a matter of time before they realize they no longer need me. Because mm -hmm. without yeah. that line, there becomes a thing of, well, the real way to sabotage this project would have been to not work on it and just, <laughs> and just, get, ex just get killed or whatever. But yeah. it's like, yeah. no. Like, that was, that was necessary to, like, okay, I will work on this because I know this thing is going to get made whether I cooperate or not, so I will cooperate so that I can sabotage mm -hmm. it, yep. which was a very, very smart thing to do. Yeah, so I agree. I think Aowen is actually a great character, and I think Mads Mikkelsen brings a lot to the, the small amount of screen time that he has. And I like the fact that, um, I mean, going back to Jin, like, one, one thing I also like about Jin is, is how... After uh, the, the, her encounter, her two encounters with Galen, like the hologram and seeing him die, she becomes inspired out of apathy because of the actions of her father. That you know, she does have this thing of you know, I I I love the line um, when uh, when Saw is saying it's like, can you stand to see the imperial flag raised over the galaxy? <laughs> 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 and she's like, well, it's not a problem if you don't look up. It's like, which I thought is, su is such a good line because, like, that is kind of how a lot of people in are today. Like, that's, I think, like, a lot of us have been guilty of feeling that way of, like, well, there's a lot of shitty things happening in the world, but what can we really do? And I like that she does get inspired out of her apathy, uh, in a large sense, you know, inspired by her father. 
And I like that she she does end up falling into unexpectedly falling into that leadership role. You know, she has those. She actually ends up being pretty good at uh, delivering these inspiring speeches to you know the 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 rebel bros going to Scarif at the end. So yep, she can do the big damn speech. Yeah, so I know that's kind of going back to Jin, but it's kind of tying in with you know I I feel that that Galen's. Galen's actions are a big part of what kind of inspired that that kind of shift with the character for sure. And then with Lyra, it just frustrates me that Lyra really didn't have to die. Like she kind of yeah. died kind of pointlessly, but this kind of a thing with Lyra is like I don't know her very quickly, but the two traits that I have from her is that she's very brave and not very wise at all. Also terrible at sneak attacks. Sneak attack! <laughs> <laughs> she ran up to people like very obviously holding a gun snuck inside like a basket or something it's like that's clearly a gun everyone knows it <laughs> you find out a, again going back to catalyst you find out a little more about lyra and catalyst i think there's something that that suggests that in catalyst that she might actually have a little bit of force sensitivity which is which is interesting that lyra does um and she has this line like she 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 tells jen to trust in the force so she she is at least a believer uh if if nothing else yeah if i will say to our listeners and Tro- uh, troy have you read catalyst have you read this book Yes, it's a good read. If if you're a fan of this movie in particular, I do recommend Catalyst because it it really does inform a lot of the backstory of this movie. And especially if you're a fan of Galen Urso, because the book's all about Galen. Like he's Boy. he is he is the main character of most of it. Uh and it also goes into a lot of his backstory with, with Krennic, who I, I do kind of want to get into Krennic as well, played by uh, Ben Mendelssohn, who Ben Mendelssohn is just such a good bad guy and everything that, that he's in, you know, and he was a great he was a great Imperial, I thought. He's got villain face. You kinda wanna punch him, but you also really like watching him at the same time. Uh, uh, yeah, I love Krennic. He's a great bad guy. He's such a petty little asshole. He's extremely ambitious and constantly clawing and it's one of those things where he might actually be more intelligent than he lets himself think he is but he is so deeply insecure that he constantly has to be putting everyone else down and even his relationship with Galen is interesting like he wants Galen to suffer he's very clearly tied to him but he also like admires him in a way he the thing about Credit is that you get the feeling he kind of wishes he was as casually smart and brilliant as Galen is. And that's in general a lot of what informs his character is that he is constantly wishing that he was someone better and definitely wants more power at all times. Yeah, there's a lot of jealousy there. I agree. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he's, he's a fantastic antagonist for this. A very human antagonist, which is appropriate since this entire movie is about the less out there and fantastical people in the Star Wars universe who are still big damn heroes. Krennic is a sniveling little weasel. (laughs) He is that kid on the playground that tries to bully his way into everything. He doesn't have a lot of strength. He doesn't have a lot of intelligence. He has just enough to manipulate everybody on the playground to do what he wants to do. The perfect antagonist in this and i love when he goes and visits vader and vader tells him with that dad joke don't choke on your own ambition (laughs) he is he is the one 
that you want to see tortured. You want to see him have everything taken away from him. Especially with the opening, especially with seeing what he does to Galen. You want to see him suffer. He's that type of person that just takes everything from everybody and makes it his own. Which I think makes it so sweet that Tarkin comes in and takes everything from him. Because he doesn't really care about people. He's a sociopath. Which those people do well in the Empire because it was created by a sociopath. So that sociopaths would do well. Um, because the head sociopath could control the bottom sociopaths. He's got style. I love his uniform. He is the antithesis of Tarkin. Tarkin is all about utilitarianism. Uh, I read the Tarkin book. I have been a huge fan of Tarkin. Once again, everybody knows that my favorite character in Star Wars is Emperor Palpatine. Uh, and then there's Vader, Maul, Tarkin, and then Count Dooku. They're not my favorite villains because I look up to them or because I want to blow up a planet one day. They're my favorite characters because you would think that they were flat villains, but there's so much complexity built into these characters. It goes into the Tarkin book. It goes into why he dresses the way that he dresses, because it's utilitarian. It's useful, and it looks okay. It looks professional, but it doesn't get in his way. But Krennic is the very opposite of that. One, he's wearing white. You spill something on it, that whole suit is ruined. You gotta go change. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he has a cape. No capes. No capes. No capes. The dude has his own creepy, like, stormtrooper squad that's... I'm not sure if they're actually better than other stormtroopers, but they are certainly, like, weirdly customized to... They're his just version fit of in better. with his flunky group. Yeah, they're his version of better. His belt. Everything is all so straight and neat, and the way he holds his hands... The way he holds his hands in front, it's all about body language. You know, when someone holds their hands behind, they're open. They're interested in seeing what's going on. They're observant. And this is all about psychology and body language. But the way that Krennic stands is he has his hands in front and he looks at everybody and kind of turns his head like they're in a zoo for him to look at. Kind of like you watch a praying mantis and the praying mantis is watching you. And that's what his body movement reminds me of. And I, I want to talk to the actor so bad because I would like to know. I relate all of my characters to animals. And I would like to know what animal, if he did any of that. Some people think it's bullshit. But if he related it to an animal, what animal would he relate it to? Because he's very much like that praying mantis. Uh, he's creepy. Creepy as fuck. If he were, if, if we, we were doing like a club scene and he was the one that was at the club, he'd be the one there trying to buy everybody drinks and seeing if he can take them home. That's not a man you want to leave your back turned with your drink next to him and it'll... No, Bill Cosby, you in a heartbeat. Yeah, he's the villain that you love to hate. And I, yeah. I think that he was really, he was really well written. He was really well played. And yeah, I mean, it, I, I agree with you. He's a total, he's a total uh, sociopath, you know, like the way, like even, even in the first scene, like referring to, to Jen, it's like, they have a child. Find it. Find yeah. it. 
Yeah. Find yeah. it. Uh, that's, that's such a weird way to refer to kids. What the and, and uh and you know, watching watching them them blow up this this city full of, you know, civilians and, and his reaction being, Oh, it's beautiful, you know. The way he said it's even like it's even weirder. Like it's like, oh, it's beautiful. It's like he hadn't even thought of that. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. that's such a lovely surprise. Look everyone. That's mm-hmm. so beautiful. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. It's uh it's it's such so so scummy. He's like ah, uh, and also it's like super satisfying. And you also know that like you can't prove, but you kind of know that it's very much a personal choice of Tarkin to shoot the tower and hit Krennic first before the rest of the planet. Mm-hmm. At the end, it's like it's also super satisfying. It's like oh yeah, that's your battle station. Works real well, don't it? <laughs> yeah, I love that he's he's killed by his own. His own, uh, yes. his own life's work is is what mm-hmm. kills him. How poetic! Yeah, I was gonna say his own creation, but it's Galen's creation is not his. He, no. he didn't do any actual work on it. Just... Yeah, so I I agree with you guys. Uh, Cassian Andor is also a character in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like him. He's he's a spy who, like, even early on, you get the impression that he doesn't feel great about the stuff he does. He's still willing to kill perfectly innocent people, people on his own side, to further the cause. And that's something that he's, like, clearly struggling with, is, am I doing it for the cause, or am I doing it for me? And him changing his mind at the end does make sense, because um, the actor does make it very clear throughout how how this character is feeling about it, that he has this conflict the whole time. Um, but he's also... He's let fear kind of control how he acts, um, how he handles everything for most of his life. And when he lets that go, you know, he becomes, you know, a better person. So I like his overall story. Uh, moment to moment, he is, he's kind of dull. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. It's, he's not the most fascinating character in this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's nice to look at. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a big. He is very pretty. Yes, he is nice to look at. I I usually don't like the scruff on a man, but there are some that that just you know make me get swamp thighs. <laughs> uh, so the whole point of Cassian being written was to show that perhaps the rebels are not as great as we thought they were. It's that twist. Maybe the rebels make the same careless decisions that the Empire makes. Are you going to think about that? Or are you going to do what you're told? And we see Cassian come across Jen. And the one thing about Jen is she does make him start to question, what's the point if we're going to do the same thing that the Empire does? And I think that is one of the greatest things about Rogue One. It just so happens to be in Cassian Andor that we see that. That we see that people are starting to question the rebels. If you're if you're fighting for freedom, why are you going to do the same thing that the people that you're fighting against do? And I, I really like that. I really do like that. And uh, Cassie and Ander takes us on that on that trip. I just don't know why, of all the characters, this is the guy we're getting a TV show of. I'm sorry. Like, uh. <laughs> why? Why, why are we getting a show about this guy? Maybe it'll be good. And that's what I'm saying. Maybe the show will come out and I'll, maybe I will end up liking the character because yeah. of the show. Like, maybe interested. that'll happen, but 
I'm I'm looking forward to the show because I like that era. I like this era. The original trilogy era. Yeah, and like that 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 kind of time period in between uh the prequels and the original trilogy, I yeah. think is a really cool time period. And there is there is some potential for like kind of an espionage spy show during that time. And I guess like Cassian makes just as much sense as any character to focus on if that's what you're doing. So I, I get it from that perspective. I just I don't know. I this character just never really left much of an impression on me. I will say similarly to what I said about Jin, this character does grow on me a little bit as I rewatch the movie. Yeah. He's still not he someone does. that really stands out a whole lot. Like yeah. I'm gonna be honest, when I think about like my favorite characters in Star Wars, like none of the characters from this movie pop up for me. I'll just I'll just be completely honest. I, and there's this feeling like I know uh, when we reviewed um, Eternals, Troy, you had talked about how you felt that movie had too many characters, and I didn't necessarily agree in regards to Eternals. I kind of feel that way about Rogue One. I'm yeah. gonna be honest. I kind of feel like there are I too agree. many characters in this movie, and I because I, yep. they all like I just feel like we don't really get enough time to really get to know or s- spend time with any of these characters because there's just so many of them. Yeah, but I but I do like the story. Like I, I've I've come to appreciate this movie and accept this movie more because I prefer movies that are character driven. But I've come to accept that this is a movie that is plot driven. This movie is yeah. about the plot. And that's mm-hmm. that's what this movie is about. And what I viewed through that lens, I like the movie better. I will say, although Cassian uh, doesn't leave a huge impression on me, his droid uh, K two S O I think is is a much more memorable character and and it, what, one of the better characters in the movie and a source of a source of most of the comic relief in the movie. Uh, any thoughts on K two S O? He's a sassy motherfucker, and I like him. That's yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I just kind of love how you know, as you mentioned, you know, part of his three programming is like he still thinks like a little dro- little like a droid, but he's very much off the cuff and very much just kind of says what he thinks. And I love how much of the journey is like I'm here under protest. Um I absolutely will sacrifice my life for you. I'm not gonna feel great about it. Yeah, there's there's not a lot to say. Um just because his as motivations go, it's pretty much I like Cassian. Who knows how much of that is genuinely liking him and how much of that is reprogramming. But, uh, yeah, I'm here. Ride or die. First, I have to say Alan Tudyk. Thank the gods for Alan Tudyk. He is one of the most talented actors of our generation. And he can make you fall in love with the character that he's playing no matter what. I went into this movie knowing whoever set foot on that planet was going to die. Um, I was I was always surprised whenever right after uh, Rogue One came out and the critics started saying we weren't expecting a tragedy at the end. Well, you don't know anything about fucking Star Wars, then do you? This movie was made for a massacre. So I tried not to get attached to these characters. But K2SO is one of three characters that I just fell in love with. I couldn't hold myself back. He he was every bit of the soul that R2-D2 and C-3PO and all of our other favorite droids were. And the thing about these characters is the droid characters are meant to be soulful. They're meant to be naive. They're meant to be the ones that we go to for support. 
because of the the battle raging on about droids following the uh, separatists and and the war that went on. So he was so well written, beautifully written, and and I think he is. I think he really is the soul of this movie. He's quirky. He's quick witted. He's fucking hilarious. But he he never lost hope. Yeah, that's my main thing. Is I think that in, in such a, a relatively serious, like this is one of the, the darker, more serious Star Wars movies in a lot of ways. But like I think that you you need to have some comic relief. I think K two S O was a great source of comic relief. I I think he was. I think he was he was a genuine a genuine actually uh, source of comic relief that actually landed. Yes, you know. Yes. Um, I know that you know. Troy, you might disagree with us about Jar Jar Binks, but this this character was actually funny, unlike Jar Jar Binks. But <laughs> Jar Jar Binks is a very sad character, and that's why I love him. He makes me sad when he pops up on screen because, <laughs> like, <laughs> why? why? <laughs> his his story is truly sad. Um, what ended up with him in the aftermath trilogy? I I would put Jar Jar Binks in the same category as because yeah, they yeah. are that same soul archetype a lot of people point out and i actually kind of agree with this that the death of all the deaths of the main characters k2so is kind of the one that that hit hits yes. the hardest for a lot of people and i yes. I, I definitely yeah. i definitely kind of, actually kind of my felt tears. that for myself yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's it's very much that kind of uh like it like it almost takes you takes you to that sort of like iron giant you know yeah i'm superman yeah. scene whatever i cry at that scene every time sorry spoiler for iron giant yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen Iron Giant by now, go see Iron Giant immediately. It's fantastic. I think it's overrated, but whatever. <laughs> um, it's pretty good, I guess. Them's fighting words. Yeah, it's fine. It's it's a fine movie. I pro- I need to see it again. I can, honestly, I, I need to see it again. It just it just never really hit with me emotionally the way it did with a lot of people. But anyway, well, let's uh, let's kind of go into cheer it and bays i'll kind of put put these two like if you have separate thoughts on them you can say but like they they, those two definitely are kind of a package deal i like them i know i know i know a lot of people that consider them to be their their kind of favorites i mean i mean maybe compared to maybe compared to the other bland characters in this movie i don't know I just, I still maintain, I, I just, I just think there's too many characters for me to really care about any of them individually, to be honest. Like, I, I just, eh, I don't know. These are the guys I wanted to show about. Anyhow. <laughs> These are the guys I wanted to show about. They're my favorite queens. My favorite queens. And I don't give a shit what anybody says. They're a fucking relationship. Do you see the way that Baze looks at Chirrut uh, whenever he dies? He loses married. all fucking hope. Yeah. Fuck those motherfuckers. They are my favorite. They are my favorite couple in all of the Star Wars galaxies. My favorite queens. Yeah, I I like these two a lot. I, in general, like that you have an expansion of the Force. It's what Tarkin had first said in A New Hope that makes it make more sense. It's not just the Jedi Order, it's the Jedi religion. You know, the tenets of their beliefs, um, their faith, even to people who aren't quite as Force sensitive, um, like Bayes doesn't appear to have quite the same sensitivity. Chirrut is clearly sensitive, not quite a Jedi. You know, he's not going to be lifting rocks or jumping himself 20 feet in the air, but he is very clearly sensitive. He can sense things. He can get around and see and feel things, um, you know, more than much more than the average person. I like that idea, that expansion of it, that it's not just the Jedi themselves that were lost, but also... 
this massive religion across the galaxy that got replaced with someone who only wants absolute obedience and order, who, even though the Emperor and Vader themselves use the Force on a regular basis, for them it's a tool, and they don't really want anyone else either believing in or caring about it on a wider basis. They certainly don't want anyone to get any sort of idea that there's a larger galaxy out there and the individual is, you know, part of the whole. It's, nope, obey the Emperor, obey the Empire, listen to authority. And seeing these two as these last remnants of that older religion, of the religion part of it, not just the actual Jedi Order itself, it does a really good job of showing not just physically what the Empire is killing, but also culturally. And... Also, the destruction of Jeddah as well, because we see it's this thriving populace full of these, you know, strange monk-like groups and pilgrims and children and this culture that is wiped away in a second, thanks to the Death Star. And yeah, in general, um, I like Chirrut. He is also a sassy bastard. Um, I love him very much. He's just an absolute badass. Baze, I I love that Baze is kind of a hard-ass, but he's also... He has a really weirdly soft and compassionate way of looking at people, which I love. For instance, his description of Cassian is like, no, he has the face of a friend. Or, you know, any time that he's there to, you know, care, especially when he's caring about um, Chirrut's well-being. I really like these two. Um, There's not a lot of them in the movie. But I I kind of wish that another character or two had been shoved aside for a second so that we could get like a little more of them because I I love them I love them very much. I think the idea of why uh, Chirrut is not a Jedi I would like to expound on that because here we have this sixty year old man who has been around and the only time that we've had it to where the Force is not being taught to be used is it's been two decades. At this point, it's only been two decades, so 20 years from the time that we've seen the ending of the Empire and the destruction of the Jedi. I do like the idea that the Force is a religion and that it has fallen from being used and a philosophy to a religion that you shouldn't, a superstition. We hear that word used whenever it comes to the Force, a superstition. Uh, Han Solo uses it. So it's fascinating um, that it's only been two decades. Now, with, with Han Solo, at that point, you can kind of see him be calling it a superstition. But with someone like Chirrut, of course he believes in it, but why isn't he using it much? Or, let me jump a little deeper, in my personal opinion, Chirrut is using the Force throughout all of the movie, and... Han Solo uses the Force throughout all of his life, and he just doesn't realize that he's using it, and he just thinks that it's 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 so easy for him to use that it's just like breathing. And the reason why I'm saying this right now, the reason why I'm talking about Han Solo and, and Chirrut, is because we're seeing this happen at the same time. Chirrut uses it in the same fashion that Han Solo uses it for luck, in quotes. I think it's fascinating, and I, I want to see more of, of Baze and Chirrut. I mean, Baze is the non-believer, and Chirrut is the believer. I, I just think that's fascinating. It's one of those things where, apart from cutting open a Tauntaun, I'm not ever really going to see Han as a... He's not going to be a Jedi of any sorts throughout his life. One thing about the Star Wars universe is that... Definitely not a Jedi. Yeah, a lot of characters are 
probably more Force-sensitive than they themselves realize, and they do play it off as luck. If I'd just watched the original trilogy, I'd say, ah, I don't really like that idea. I think it is entirely possible that Han might be a little bit Force-sensitive in that he has a feeling for when he should do something, or he has good instincts for he when he needs to force. aim, or how to fly a ship. He's and a wizard. He doesn't recognize it as such, yeah. and so that's why he's... Because he's never going to nurture those ideas, because he's never going to feed on that, and then by the time that he does fully believe in the Force, he's just too damn stubborn at that point. It's the wizard versus the sorcerer thing. He's never going to become a Jedi. He was never going to become a Jedi at any point in his life, because he could never believe in that sort of thing. And even, again, by the time he did fully start believing in the Force, he's a little too set in his ways, and he's not going to go around trying to leap around a swamp or lifting rocks or giving, you know, very short men piggyback rides. But <laughs> I do think there is a definite possibility that Han could be... Force-sensitive. Yeah, a little bit Force-sensitive. And Chirrut is a little more obviously so because he believes. It's it's very possible that Han could have perhaps one day gotten abilities very similar to Chirrut if he himself yes. had ever believed in that sort of thing. Yep. Because clearly Chirrut is a little bit Force-sensitive... Not to the degree that a Jedi is, but enough that he can start to use it. No, I actually, I was gonna, I was gonna come in like I was gonna say that I actually surprisingly uh, totally agree with you, Troy. That I do think that Han is a little bit force sensitive, and it, it comes to like what you're saying, how you know, they, like with Anakin, they do make a big deal about how humans can't pod race because humans humans just the way the humans reflexes are like you have to be you know like your your alien mind like different aliens have different you know have have faster reflexes but anakin can do it because he's force sensitive he has those reflexes and then you look into the original trilogy like everybody makes such a big deal about the fact that nobody can fly through an asteroid field. And Han Han is able to do it. Han, Han has the reflexes to be able to do that. Yeah. I I, I actually do agree with you. I, I, I think Han is foreign sensitive. And that's that's something that had uh, somewhat occurred to me as well. As far as Sheeran and Base goes, I think that... I, I agree with a lot of you guys' points. I think my take on them... I actually do agree that I think these are two characters that it would be interesting to see a show about them. Because... I think that there's a lot of potential with these two characters. Mm-hmm. I think in my personal opinion, I just don't think that they were fleshed out enough in this movie for me to really ultimately care about them as much as other viewers do. And that's fair. That's that's my thing. It's like I just don't think that they were really explored enough. I, I, I think that there I think there was the potential for two really good characters. I just don't think that that potential was for me realized within this film and within the story that was being told in this film. I like Chirrut more than I like Bays of the two. Chirrut does have a lot of moments that I really like. I really think Donnie Yen does a really good job playing this character. I will say, even though K2SO is the main comic relief character and has the most number of jokes... I would say cheer it for me probably has the single funniest yes. line in the entire movie, which is where they put the bag over his face and he says, are you kidding me? I'm blind. <laughs> single funniest line in the entire movie. It's like, and you know, it's probably improv. 
<laughs> it was oh, yeah. improv. Like I was actually wondering whether they added that in in post because, like, because it happens after they put the bag over. I almost wonder whether they were editing it and they saw that. Like, wait, why are they putting are we- the bag over the blind guy? And maybe they brought him in to record that line as as a joke to explain. I'm not. I'm not sure if that's what happened, but it, it occurred to me that might have been what, what it was. But that is the best line of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it is. is yeah. The, it is the funniest line, absolutely. So yeah. I like Sheridan Bay's. I, I like I like the potential of those characters. I just I just don't think that for me their potential was really realized. But I I don't fault anyone for loving them. I think I think that they are at least the beginnings of really good characters, and I can see why people would like them for sure. Um, Bodhi, uh. <laughs> he should have been. I like Bodhi. He should have been consolidated with another character. Basically, he is. He's not the fighter. Um, out of the group. He he is not a violent man. He's not a fighter. He is just a pilot. And he's supposed to be someone a little more relatable, except that he's also not in the movie very much at all, so you don't really have time to relate to him. Like, half the time that he's in the movie, he's still, like, getting over being mindfucked by Boar Gullet. I wish, yeah, I wish we'd seen a little more of, you know, Bodhi as Bodhi. And... Honestly, if this if you want to cut a character, I really like Riz Ahmed's performance. I like Riz Ahmed, and I genuinely like the character. This is a character that should have been cut or consolidated with another one, possibly consolidated with Cassian. I think they were stuck with this character. He was a plot device. They needed him to to get the message out, and we needed to know that Galen was a good guy, and that there was a faction within the Empire that wanted to bring down the Empire. But I would have killed him. Well, they did at the end, but they killed everybody. Yeah, but <laughs> I would have killed him sooner. Yeah. The whole weird octopus thing, like, mind-fucking him, like, that whole thing was just like, what? Yeah. I don't know. Like, that never made sense to me. It's just like, what was the point of that? It's like, I remember, I like, seeing that at the theater and, yeah. like, forgetting about it two scenes later, because, like, it's almost not brought up again. Then, like, like Bodhi's kind of shell-shocked after the fact. I was like, oh, yeah, the octopus thing. Whatever happened with that? Like, what was the point of that? We never figured out whether or not Saw thought it was genuine. Or... That was one of the rare instances in this movie where I could kind I felt like I could kind of detect where reshoots had happened, because... I know yeah. a lot of this yeah. movie was was had reshoots, which, to be honest, reshoots are not inherently a problem. Sometimes there are things you just common. need to go in and address. Like if there, mm-hmm. th- that's the thing too. It's like people are like, "Oh, this movie had reshoots." Almost every big movie has reshoots. Like every single every yep. single MCU, like they literally build in like two weeks into every production schedule for yep. reshoots. Like that's just a part yep. of it. Um, and a lot of times it's just tightening things up. It's like, oh, we have these two scenes that we can combine just to get this you know piece of exposition across faster. This movie did go through somewhat extensive reshoots, from what I understand. But yeah, y- you don't feel it when you watch the movie. I feel like the movie feels very coherent. This is one of the rare things where I'm like, I feel like maybe in an earlier draft or an earlier version of the movie, this like technical thing was more of a big deal in the plot. And then maybe they they decided to do some reshoots, but they were still kind of left with like this kind of fragment of something. I'm not really sure. Like this is just speculation on my part, but like that's what it feels like when I watch the movie. I don't think it was necessary. Yeah, I don't think it was necessary at all. And uh, yeah, Bodhi just like... uh, Speaking of characters who just don't leave an impression on me, Bodhi left zero impression on me. 
he he never has left an impression on me anytime I've, I've watched the movie. I, I, yeah, of all the characters, he's just there. He's Blandy McBlanderson. And I love Riz Ahmed. I, I'd absolutely love Riz Ahmed as an actor, but I don't think that this movie was a, an example of his, his good acting. I just, I don't think he had anything to do, really. Saw is interesting because he's technically a character who was on Clone Wars before he was yeah. in this show. He's in this movie, although he's a very different uh, kind of, like, portrayal of him. Um, I definitely suspect that they came up with the idea of this character in a broad sense and then decided to make him Saw Gerrera as they were as they were writing this movie um but I do think it's cool I do think it's cool like this is I think one of the first instances of having a character who's introduced in one of the animated series and having them appear in a live action movie I think it legitimizes the animated series and really this movie does a lot to really hammer home the idea that all of this in the Disney era is genuinely a part of the same canon and we're going to acknowledge all of it, which I think is something that the current era of Star Wars actually has over the old EU because like there was things in the EU, some of it felt connected, a lot of it didn't. Like this feels a lot more connected than it used to, but I have a mixed opinion of Saw Gerrera, but I'll kind of let you guys uh, take it up as far as what you guys think of this character in, in, in the, as he is in this movie. I think uh, we see the final evolution of Saw Gerrera. In the Clone Wars, we see Saw Gerrera's beginnings, and we see how he starts to become this rebel, and then how the rebels are like, yay, Saw can do everything, he's so great, yay, we love him, yes, come to our side. And then eventually Saw gets so radical that even the rebels are like, he cray-cray, we gotta kind of let him go he's hazardous and when the rebels say that you know it's kind of it's kind of harsh so seeing the way that Forrest Whitaker plays him I could totally see where he's coming from when he was put back into Star Wars Rebels he was older and he looked more like Saul, this Saul Guerrero. They've created this character through these different shows and this movie to where you can see like this arc going on and, and you want to know a little more about him, or at least I do. Just yeah. seeing him as a fanatic. It goes back to that, maybe the rebels weren't as great as everybody thought they were. No, we shouldn't have an emperor and this guy is a sociopath, but maybe some people in the rebel side were sociopathic too. Yeah. And he's one of those mentally broken people. It's the idea that a lot of people don't want the Empire to exist in its current form. Not everybody has the same idea of what it should look like afterwards, and yeah. some people are fucking insane. It's like, oh, I'm perfectly fine with killing whoever I need to, whenever I need to, but uh, I also don't like the Empire. It's one of those things where Saw is a very, he's very much a lost character, and you get that, because he's clearly unstable um, by the time we see him here. He may not even know exactly what he is fighting for anymore. He is just fighting. He'll fight the Empire. He'll fight the Rebels. He'll fight people who are just trying to come and deliver him a message. I like him, but yeah, we also we also don't get much time with him. And it is, I do agree, that it is a radical evolution from where we first saw the characters introduced. And I do agree with Sam that it is very likely that this movie made this character and then realized... Hey, we can make him Saw Gerrera. You know, we have, we have a character who's kind of like that uh, from the Clone from the Clone Wars show. So we can make him the same person if yeah. we really want to. In general, his his purpose in the movie is interesting. He's that he's the kindly uncle to Jin, who is also goddamn insane. And 
I like how at the very end of it, this movie does a good job of having people who made pretty bad mistakes throughout their lives, did horrible things, turn around in the end, and even if it does cost them their lives. Like Bodhi, who had worked for the Empire for years, turned around. Saw Guerrera, who in his life had turned radical and in fighting practically everyone, even his allies, at the very end lets them go and you know entreats them to save the dream and doesn't even try and save himself there because he realizes that this is no longer his fight or that he might not be suited for the fight. He was one of the most fascinating characters because of that. Realizes it's like, you know what, maybe the rebellion that comes does not need me. Yeah. As I am. He knows he's done some he's made some huge mistakes that are unforgivable and he accepts his fate. And that's that's kind of his role is that he's one of the he's one of the characters who most openly and most quickly has that turnaround. Yeah. Um does a really good job of hammering home what this movie is really about. It People is. he does, yeah. Redeem themselves even though it will cost them their lives for a better future. And it is people who are willing to sacrifice literally everything for their better future. That is the whole movie is against massive overwhelming power. Yeah, you personally might not survive, but it might make things better in the end. I, I'm conflicted because like, again, I like the fact that they did make him the character from Clone Wars. I think that that just creates a cool... Um, connective tissue with the stuff with the canon the current disney canon of star wars honestly in general i really like forrest whitaker as an actor i do not like his performance in this movie i'm just gonna be honest i there's just something i know that he's he's like portraying this you know like you know most of his parts have been replaced with cybernetic components like comparing them to vader but no I, i i understand that comparison i don't know I don't like the voice. It's too easy to make fun of. I think it's part of the problem I have with it. It's like, I almost can't take it seriously. I think there's something really hammy feeling about his performance. About it's like, did you, did you come here to kill me? Like, what? I don't know. Just something about his delivery. It's just so fucking weird. Like, just this weird wheezy asthmatic. I don't know. Like, uh, I, I. For, it, it just, it kind of takes me out of the movie for whatever reason. Like, I don't know. I enjoyed it. He's a very broad character. Yeah. It, it's not a problem for me, but I, I do get what you're coming from. I love Ham. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it fit the movie. For the tone of what they were going for with this movie, I feel that he just feels like he's he's from a different movie. Yeah. Like, mm. man, I, there's just something about that. Just, I, I, I don't think it's a good performance. Like, I, I like Forrest Whitaker, but I don't think he's good in this movie. I, I, I think there's there's no there's no subtlety, there's no nuance. Like he's just here's the thing, he came up with the physicality and like a voice, but he's just playing the it's it's too much of an outside in performance. Like he's he's just playing the voice and, and the mannerisms. I think it comes across as crazy, and I think that's what he was going for. He's still kind of out there. It's Jim. <sighs> Did they send but you to kill it's, me? It's not a good. It's not a good performance of somebody who's crazy. It's it's like it's the thing. It's, it feels like somebody acting crazy instead of somebody who actually is that way. I think that that's what it is for me. It feels very artificial. His entire performance yeah. to me. I can see your point, but I enjoy it. I do actually agree with that. Um, I have known people who have gotten paranoid and delusional in their lives, and. It's not a great portrayal of that. It's a great portrayal of how you'd think that would look from the outside, yeah. but it's not a very genuine portrayal of how it looks. Yeah. 
She caught him in his manic stage. I don't know. I could see it. I under- I understand it. Like, it doesn't ruin the movie for me or anything like that. I like that we continue to see him in other media after this. Like, I like seeing Forrest Whitaker as Saw on Rebels. I like seeing him in Fallen Order. Yeah. So I like mm-hmm. the fact that we're seeing him pop up in these other places. I think that Forrest Whitaker's performance, whenever he's playing the character in anywhere else, is actually a lot better than he is in this movie. Could have I been just, directing in this instance. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Like, it, it, he is in his most broken state, both physically and mentally. But I think that he just went for it a little too much. And I don't know, it, 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 it just feels a little false to me. But it doesn't ruin the movie for me. I don't know. I, but the characters just didn't work super well for me. Well, uh, speaking of kind of legacy characters, of course, like, Mon- the only thing I'm going to say about Mon Mothma is that the actress they got to play her- Genevieve O'Reilly. Yeah, she's from deleted scenes from Revenge of the Sith. The main thing I, I have to say in regards to her is that she's so incredibly spot on with the original actress from Return of the Jedi who played Mon Mothma that, like, whenever I see Mon Mothma in this movie, it doesn't feel like I'm seeing somebody else's portrayal of that character. It just feels like the same person from Return of the Jedi, and, and it's, it's pretty incredible. It is weird. Like, it doesn't even feel like an impression, which you'd think. It's like, okay, so- so she's, you know, trying to go in the vein of the original character. But no, you're right. It's it's bizarre. It, it just, yeah, it just really is the same character. Yeah. I think she's pretty lucky, uh, Genevieve O'Reilly, to look so much like the original actor. If you look at one of her other pictures, they had to contour the fuck out of her face. But not too, too badly. The hair changes everything. She's usually a brunette or a blonde. Lucky her. Yeah, for sure. Mm. And then it's also like, you know, connectivity with the prequels. It's great seeing Baylor Organa as played by Jimmy Smits, who played him in the the prequels as well. And like, I just, I just like that character a lot. I think that he is actually one of the, uh, even though he's a background character in the prequels, I, I've always just liked Baylor Organa. I think he's actually a really good yeah. character. And I, I like, I like seeing him pop up in this. He, he took a larger, he took a slightly ro- larger role in Revenge of the Sith. And it's, it's, it's really nice to see that continue. It's, yeah, it gives that sense. It does a really good job of getting that sense of continuity. It's, it's also like, in Rebels. This man is, yeah. Yeah, this man is still very much doing exactly what he'd set out to do. Yeah, for sure. <sighs> okay, talking about Tarkin. I love Tarkin. I love the character of Tarkin. I fucking hate the horrible CG that they made for this character in this movie. It takes me out. Every single time he shows up, I'm just taken completely out of the movie. I, I just gotta be honest. I hate it. It's, I hate it so much. I really do. <laughs> I think they were too confident with it. I think that's that's kind of my problem. If Tarkin showed up in holograms, or if he mostly kept to reflection shots, like when you first see him in the mirror, then that could have been fine because the hologram is, you know, fizzing. It's not. It's not a perfect image. And I think his writing, his and like the overall performance that they were doing, um, certainly the vocal performance from the actor uh, that they had for him. That was all good, but no, you're right. They were they were way too confident about how good the facial CG was going to look, and it was frankly a little bit distracting. It's like you are not going to perfectly capture Peter Cushing, um, not with the technology you have, not in this film. They should have found ways to have Tarkin in the movie because I liked having Tarkin in the movie and his role in the movie, but they should have found ways to not to dis- to disguise the CG a little bit because. It, it didn't work really well. When Tarkin shows up, I jizzed my pants. By the end of the movie, I wasn't able to walk because my thighs were stuck together. 
I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> when I watch it now, does does the CGI throw me off? Yes. But in the moment when I got to see Tarkin, and Tarkin is one of my favorite fucking characters, and it was a surprise. No one knew Tarkin was going to be in the fucking movie. I was thankful. Yeah, sure. It takes me out right now, but for the first time since Disney has been making these movies, I know that George Lucas was proud of what they're doing with Star Wars. Just like he's proud of what's happening on The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett. And it's not because of the plot. It's not because of the cast. It's because George Lucas just wanted to be an innovative filmmaker. George Lucas strives to tell stories where he has to push the technology. He has his whole life. And he was upset with Disney and and the sequels, not because of the plot, not because of a lot of things, but because they were using the same old technology that they used to do the, the original trilogy. He didn't make Star Wars just to tell a story. He made Star Wars to further the technology of film. And without George Lucas, we wouldn't have a lot of the things that we have. So seeing them use this innovative technology, I'm glad. I was blown the fuck away. Yeah, I know that's not a real person. I know it's CGI, but I was so happy to get to see Tarkin. And when I saw him, when I saw him pop up in the movie, it was like Disney gave me a gift. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. Thanks for making me jizz my pants. Now I got a mess I got to clean up. Thanks. Thank you. Can you do it again? Can you do it again? And later on in the movie, they fucking do it again. Leia doesn't look like Leia. She looks like a computer-generated effect. But oh my god, it was so nice. It, it takes me out now. It does, but I, I get your I get your complaints. I do. But I'm I'm here to watch sci-fi, and whenever I see them advance filmmaking, I get a little choked up. As far as the Leia thing goes, I, I, people have, you know, disagree with me on this, and that's fine, right? The Leia thing takes me out a lot less than the Tarkin, to be honest. I, I think that it's, it's quick enough, and, I don't know, I, it's a little janky, but it doesn't look as bad to me as the Tarkin for some reason. Like, Tarkin looks way worse to me, in my opinion. I gotta say, the computer-generated Tarkin looks one million times better than the special effects makeup Tarkin looked in Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> that motherfucking mask <laughs> looks shitty. That's so quick and it's done from a distance. That never bothered me. Yeah. Like, it's it's from such a distance. Like I actually agree. That really never bothered me at it all bothered when I was watching me. it. It, it is blink and you miss it. Yeah. It's blink and you miss it. It's one of my biggest special effects complaints about Revenge of the Sith. I went along for the party and I saw who it was. One thing that really pisses me off is uh, there's an actor that actually looks just like Peter Cushing, and they didn't use him. Instead, they used someone where they had to use a silicone mask. And eh, I wish that they had have used CGI then. But I was I was pretty proud what they did with Tarkin in Rogue One. As a Star Wars fan, I was like, look at them. I want more Tarkin. Give me more Tarkin. Can I have one more Tarkin, please? I do think that Tarkin should have been in this movie because he is such a, an integral part of the, the story of the Death Star. But I agree with Zach. Yeah. I, I've always said if he had just been a hologram whenever he showed up, I think that that would have done a good job of masking the CGI. 
I think that there there was way too much of of just like these close ups and stuff like that. They they weren't smart about it. They weren't smart about hiding the flaws. I feel. Speaking of of holograms, I am pissed that there wasn't a uh, uh, an emperor hologram because Tarkin and Vader were the only two that really answered to Palpatine, and I really do think they messed up on that. And one thing that I kind of wish that we saw a little bit more of Tarkin at some point is the kind of unspoken but almost implied hint that Tarkin as of A New Hope is slightly higher in the ranking than Darth Vader is at that point. Um, they in fought, the yeah. Esteem. yeah. Yeah, like you, you do get the impression that Tarkin is, they're a very similar level of authority, but at that time you get the impression Tarkin is slightly more in favor yeah. with the Emperor. No, I definitely get that, for sure. If you read the Tarkin book, they actually go over that that power struggle and how Palpatine was trying to get them two to get along because they didn't like each other. Vader hated Tarkin because of the things he did in the Clone Wars, and he saw Tarkin as a pin pusher. Uh, eventually, Tarkin does um, get Vader's approval, but that, that power struggle was real. And I agree with you. They should have showed that a little more. Yeah. Overall, again, like I said, I like how he's used and especially how he's written in the story. It is just the implementation of the CG that I have any complaints yeah. with as far as Tarkin. Otherwise, no, this is peak Tarkin. This is fantastic. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'll come back to Vader in a second. Like I'll, I'll kind of do that at the same time that we do the, uh, the, the, the hallway scene. But like, let's talk about certain things about the third act. I will say... The space battle, super cool. Really well done. Mm. It's one of the best in Star Wars, honestly. I agree. It's, it's, I mean, it's, really. It's, it's up it's, there. It's up there, yeah. yeah. And I love, actually, one really well-implemented use of uh, legacy characters is the way they use archive footage to bring Gold Leader and Red Leader back. Yes. That was fucking awesome. Yeah. That was, that was perfect. That was so cool. That was completely seamless and fantastic. It's like, another nice oh my surprise. God, yeah, no, this is, this is great. Yeah. yeah. They're just there. Exactly. Yeah, that was amazing. So, uh, I love Admiral Radis too. Admiral, like, he's not a huge character in this, but Ra Ad Admiral Radis is cool. <laughs> I yeah. just want to give him a quick shout out. It was nice to see before Akbar. You know, you kind of see all of that kind of graduate and it's like oh nice there was a before and it really breaks down to a lot of the people that were in control in the og trilogy were new at what they were doing they were just going along so it it makes it that much more exciting when you go back and you watch the old trilogy and that's yeah that's a, that's another fun thing is realizing that at that last scene um, when or in the last movie in Return of the Jedi, when everyone's you know gathering around and you know planning the mission, and you're like, isn't it a little weird that you know Han and Lando are like some of the big generals here? They're taking advice. It's like, oh no, everybody's new at their jobs because their predecessors you know died horribly. But yeah, I generally like how Admiral Radis is. You get this sense that he's the guy that Akbar looked up to. Um, he's an inventive leader. He's a very brave yep. one. You know, he didn't even wait for any sort of command. It's like. Yeah, no, I'm taking my battleship, and any other ships that want to follow me, they can. That's what happens when you have a rebel alliance. Turns out the rebel's not great at following orders, right? <laughs> Funny thing, that, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we don't, we don't spend a lot of time with him, but no, he's he's a really good um, 
yeah, he's a good commander, and you do kind of like almost instantly, you know, like him and, um, you know, respect him the moment you see him. Partially because he does have the chutzpah to be like, you know what, I'm just going to go. I'm, yeah, they need me. I'm going to go. Not waiting for orders. And then I really also like the uh, like the land part of the Battle of Scarab as well. Like, obviously, uh, it's weird to say, oh, this is more of a war film. Of course, the franchise is called Star Wars. Like, they're all war. Like, yeah. this one, like, the, the beach battle really specifically has that kind of, like, gritty, like, it feels like a non-movie. It feels like D-Day almost. Like, it has that kind of, like, yeah. really gritty boots on the ground. Like, it, it, I don't know. There's there's something about it that, that just feels you know, like, like just the filmmaking of it. They they really did treat it like this is a, a legit war movie, you know? In general, I feel like that's actually a lot of um, what I like about this movie is that it's like, this is kind of Star Wars unless from the cosmic battle of good and evil war and more people who actually have some idea of what war looks like. And I like how even like the rebel outfits, their gear is like a little more obviously functional. You get a better idea of like how specifically this functions for a war like you have the U-wing, which is a very cool new ship, and also extremely functional. It is like very clearly a helicarrier, and yeah, no, there's a lot of cool stuff from that. I do also want to say one last thing from the space battle. I really like the inclusion of the hammerhead, both because yeah. that is a really fun, cool moment, and also like a nice nod to the old Republic stuff. Yeah. It's like, oh wow, we actually have a couple of those all around. That's actually something this movie is really good about. Is like recognizing and nodding you know legacy content it's like we kind of want to have some of that in there i enjoyed the battle scenes and i thought they were well done Mm. i think these are some of the best battle scenes in the whole franchise but i would like to say one thing one thing weighs on my mind one thing stays on my shoulders i absolutely loved this movie but where in the fuck were the bothans where the f- not one fucking bother? No, 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 no. That's Return of the that's Jedi. The second that's Death Return Star. of the Jedi. Second Death Star. Second Death Star. Oh, that's not this. That's okay. not this story. Okay. That's where the buttons die. Okay. I do kind of. I do kind of want to see the Rogue Two, the story of just like a bunch of buttons yes. who also all died. I'm glad to get the you corrected me because Star. I wanted to go to war. I was like, "There's not one fucking lion creature on here." I was in the theater going, "Where the fuck are the lion creatures?" Someone looked over at me like I was stupid, and now I know why. <laughs> no, no, I'm glad they were able to kind of address that on air, because that's that's actually a comment I've heard from a lot of people. What about the Bothans? May Bothans decide to bring us this information. That was in regards to the, the second Death Star uh, in Return of the Jedi. Not this Death Star. That's a different. That's a totally different thing that happened. So are we up for Rogue 2? I would like to see that story told as well. Rogue 2. I think it would be interesting. Especially because yeah. it has the bittersweet ending of knowing it that Emperor Palpatine wanted them to eventually get away with it. Yeah. Like, we're going to kill them all. Not all of them, but enough that they that they think that they Let really go. got away with something here. Let them think they got away. <laughs> I'm ready for him. I'm ready. No, you're not, you old fuck. <laughs> I mean, we touched on it already, but how do we feel about the fact that our heroes all die? That actually came as quite a bit of a surprise. It was a, it's a good move, especially in the part of Disney, because there's a feeling that they might not have the guts to, you know, go with some of the more shocking moments. And they turns out they did. They were absolutely willing to kill off the entire main cast of a movie. And when you rewatch it, it makes more sense that this is... This is not a story about people who really have plot slash force armor. These are people who are going to go on a risk-it-all suicide mission and 
this is what happens. It's like sometimes you come back from the Risk It All Suicide missions, more often you don't. They still won, they still got away with it, but it required actual sacrifice this time on the hands of everyone involved. And one thing that I thought was really interesting about this movie and that I really liked is that I didn't notice it until rewatching. There's a tendency for a lot of characters, um, Saw, Bodhi, um, especially Jin and uh, K2SO, um, Chirrut, Baze, where we actually stay with them, we stay focused on their face right up to literally the exact second that they die. So much so that you see the shots. It's done well. That come for them. You see the explosion. You see the rock right as it hits them. You stay with them to the moment of their death. And that's something I really like because that's these characters could have been completely disposable, but it's just that little filmmaking reminder in a way that, you know, can only be done in film that, you know, these are, these are people right all the way through and you leave them, you only leave the scene when they do, when they're gone. I actually did think that there was a chance, when I went into this movie, I thought there was a good chance they would all die. That actually wasn't maybe as much of a shock to me as it was, it was for you, Zach. But I think a lot of that came from the fact that I was following a lot of discussions about this movie before it came out. And there was a lot of speculation, like not just people kind of, you know, who didn't, weren't necessarily in the know, but there was a lot of speculation that that that, that was going to be what the ending of the movie was because like there was this question of, Okay, they're if these guys succeed their mission, like where are they after that? Why don't we see them in movies after this? And I was like, yeah, I mean, like it makes sense. Like I, I, so like I kind of knew going in, like I wasn't sure whether they were all going to die or not, but I thought that there was a very good chance that they all would. So it actually wasn't really a surprise for me either. But I did think it was a nice kind of uh, ballsy move on on the side of uh, Disney to to allow for them to do that to not really have a problem for them to do that so so i i like i like the fact that they killed them off i Me also too. do it was about time yeah we're leading into a movie called a new hope let's give them something to have hope for kill the mother exactly <laughs> and a reason why you need a new yeah, one exactly okay darth vader let's get into this this character um before we get into the hallway scene I'm going to say something that's probably going to get me a lot of hate. I don't think James Earl Jones should have been the voice in this. <gasps> Listen, James Earl Jones is always going to be the one true Vader. He is amazing. If we're saying that this is him before A New Hope or like days before A New Hope, why does he sound like 40 years older? I'm sorry, <laughs> but <laughs> it actually does kind of bug me a little bit. It, there, there are... There yeah. are voice actors who can do really good impressions of young James Earl Jones, and as sacrilegious as I think it would have been, I think that's the route they should have gone. I'll just I'll just be completely honest, but he's still good. He still did a good job. It doesn't take me out of the movie at all. It really doesn't. But like I've yeah. always kind of felt that way, to be honest, in regards to that. But I get it. My thing with it is that I'm really glad he's in this movie. It is a sign that it's probably should be the one of the last movies that he does the Darth Vader voice because it's it it is noticeable but I really like him in this movie anyways and I'm glad that he came back for it you're not wrong I disagree but you're not wrong is basically my take on it it's like you're not wrong about anything I just I'm glad that he's there I also like in general about um Darth Vader in this movie is that 
we do get one one of the things I like about Vader is that we now thanks to Clone Wars, um, thanks to the prequels and especially thanks to the Clone Wars series, we have a much better, broader picture of who Anakin was as a person. And one thing I kind of love about Rogue One is that there's like one or two moments that show you is like, okay, that's Anakin. That's he's still in there. He's not entirely subsumed and lost totally to depression. And the two moments are one, he's a dramatic motherfucker who built his uh castle on top of a lava flow on the planet where he got burned to death. It's like, yep, that's a dramatic motherfucker move. Classic Skywalker. And secondly, is that line he has with Krennic. It's like, be careful not to choke on your aspirations. It's like, yeah, that's totally a Anakin thing to yeah, do. It's, it is. But yeah, in general, he's he's really cool in this. He is that he's that strange, deeply imposing figure that is a little reminder that's like, okay, on the one hand, the Empire is, you know, a fascist machine. On the other hand, when you start getting into the upper echelons of the Empire, things get really goddamn weird and creepy. And Vader is a fantastic reminder of that. And that leads especially into the hallway scene, which I know we all want to talk about. Well, James Earl Jones is 91, so I'm glad he did this movie. It probably will be the last movie. I I always think about how George Lucas had to beg him to come back to do episode three. I'm glad he came back, and I'm down for him to come back anytime after this. I do understand your point, Sam, and, and you're right in that. He does sound like he's in his 80s. He does. But that could also be explained with depression or, you know, and many different things. Vader and Palpatine are probably two of the greatest villains ever created, bar none. Bar none, whenever it comes to the history of villains. Vader might actually be the best. Be I, I agree. I, I completely agree, because Vader is a villain led by his heart, even though he has this tough exterior. But Vader's actions in this movie, and I'm going to say it right here, I got a hot take. Uh, it's probably not that hot. This movie and Vader's actions in this movie prove my theory that Vader never wanted to kill Luke, but only to train him. And every time he met with Luke, it was just to train. And when they met with Luke, there were specific orders given to all stormtroopers, if you shoot my fucking son, I will fucking choke you to death. Now, maybe not in A New Hope, because he didn't find out until after A New Hope that Luke was his son. But I, I can guarantee you after that, that Vader wanted to train him and Vader had a plan for him. Nope, I believe it wholeheartedly. And it does do a good job because there's kind of that question. It's like, okay, but what is he, how terrifying is he really at his prime? And then you have him here and it's like, oh, that's not a fight. The moment he appears, everyone in that hallway knows they're dead. The hallway scene is the best scene in the entire movie. It really it is. is. Like I, I know, I know people, I know people harp on it, yeah. but it's it's rightfully so. Like it is honestly the best. It scene. deserves it. It is honestly the best scene in the entire movie. It's the so hallway incredibly scene well done. Maybe the best Vader scene ever done. I have I have ones that I like more, but it's certainly one of the best, most well done, and it also does a good job of just keeping with the theme of the movie. It's like these are all people who are not getting out of there. They're still doing everything they can to get these plans out to save the day, even though they have no absolute hope for themselves whatsoever. And 
yeah, no, it's it's just an amazing scene, and it does a really fantastic job. It's like, oh, that's why everyone's terrified of Darth Vader. It wasn't just because he was big and intimidating; it's also because that's not a fight. That's not a fight at all. Yeah, yeah, it's just like like they took Vader and they made him a horror movie villain. And I think that it was it was so just incredibly well done when, you know, yeah, like I watched the movie for the first time and, the, and they're just looking into that black and I'm expecting stormtroopers to come in. But then you hear that breathing and you see the lightsaber light up and it's just such an incredible scene. Just 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 the execution of it is just absolutely perfect. It really is the best scene in the entire movie. And it's and it's involving characters who really are just red shirts. It's like we don't even we don't even know these guys who are getting slaughtered, but we still feel for them. Completely. Yeah, the performances in that scene are fantastic. I feel like we actually see why the whole empire fears Vader. Yeah, for nope, sure. It makes sense, yeah. I do also have to admire that this also recontextualizes the beginning of A New Hope in a way that I love, which is that Darth Vader literally saw this exact ship leave <laughs> with the plans. And the moment he actually catches up to it and confronts Leia, she's like, well, we were on a diplomatic mission. And I always know that Leia's a badass, but that is some chutzpah she has, and it is awesome. I love I just saw you 15 <laughs> fucking minutes ago. What the fuck are you talking about? I just, I saw you. I chopped the last one up. I saw you go out of the ship. What the fuck are you talking about? Exactly. <laughs> I saw your license plate. Me. <laughs> I think it's about time to go into overall thoughts. Uh, I'll go ahead and go first. I think Rogue One is a good movie. It's not one of my favorite Star Wars movies. And I think a lot of that has to do with most of the characters just didn't really hit with me. That's the main issue I have with this movie. I don't like the CGI Tarkin. I will say the comments I made about James Earl Jones... None of those are actually a big enough deal for, for to actually detract from the movie at all. It's a critique, though. It's a critique. Yeah, it's a minor critique. It doesn't detract from the movie at all. The bland characters do. I'm gonna be honest. The Tarkin thing is actually a big enough deal for me to actually be an issue, but uh, I, I think it's I think it's pretty bad. But where this movie shines, it's got a really good storyline. I like it from the point of view of being like a canon fan and being able to find out the story of how they got the Death Star plans, of why that weakness exists in the Death Star. I think it's a really good storyline. I really do. And I think it's a well-made movie. And even some of the characters, like, I think K2SO is the most entertaining character, but the character who grows on me the more I watch this movie is actually Jen. I think she actually probably, like, I don't love her, but she's probably, her and Galen are probably the two best characters in the movie for me. And I think that, that, that the father-daughter story is probably the strongest uh, emotional beat in the movie for me personally. I would give this a 7 out of 10, but I'm actually going to go as high as 8. I am actually going to go 8 out of 10. And the reason I give it an 8 out of 10 is because of the third act. I think the third act is just really fucking good. And I think that it makes up for the relative blandness. And it... Again, the rest of the movie is still a solid seven or so. So, like, it's still good. It's just not necessarily great. But I think that I think the third act is honestly like a nine or a ten. And so I'll 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 average it. I'll say that my overall rating for this is eight out of ten. I have a lot of very similar thoughts on that. I like a lot of the main characters in this movie. I really do. But I just agree that they're not the focus of the movie. This is actually a movie that is plot first. It is not character first. It's not particularly character driven. It is more plot driven. 
they're not the focus of it. And there are just so many main characters that all of them, like Jin gets the most love, which is appropriate because she is like the main character, but all the rest of the major characters are a little underserved. Some of them I would like to know quite a bit better. Yeah, especially Chirrut and Baze. Um, some I could take or leave entirely, Bodhi, and some I just really enjoyed the chance to get to see them at all, like uh, K2SO, who is just a joy, as you said, God bless Alan Tudyk. I do definitely agree that the first parts of the movie are okay, the third act is about as good as Star Wars gets, that is just really yeah. immensely strong. If the rest of the movie had been, you know, the quite the same degree, I think that, you know, overall this would have been one of the better you know, one of the best Star Wars movies, as is, it's simply a really good one. It's not perfect. Some of the CGI was reaching a little farther than they could grasp at the moment. But where where it succeeds, it really damn succeeds. And it ends on a fantastic note. So I'm, I'm going to agree. I'm going to give this one an 8 out of 10. This is not my favorite Star Wars. It's not my least favorite. But I feel like it's one that I'll put on that I don't pay attention to until K2SO is on the screen or Chirrut and Baze are on the screen. I don't enjoy all of the movie. It's something that I can put on and play a video game at the same time and just wait for the ending. Uh, when when Tarkin is on screen and Krennic, then I'll look up. Well, just Tarkin. Vader's on screen, I'll look up. I love those scenes. The rest of the movie, it's boring. I hate to say that. But it's boring. There's not enough characterization in it. Most of the main characters bore me until I get to some of the OG characters. But that ending, that ending is so fucking phenomenal that it makes up for having to wait to get there. It does. Um, And I won't just go straight to the ending and just watch the ending. I will let the movie play and then really focus on the movie whenever the ending comes around. So... It does have a little bit of mm, in it. I love Galen. So there's little pieces of pepper all the way through it that I like that I'll pick up on. So I have to give the movie a 7 out of 10. All right. So having said all that, Zach, where can the folks find you? The folks can find me on Facebook as Zachariah Schneider. They can also find me on the Twitters as Zachariah Schnitt for Zachariah, S-C-H-N-E-4. Troy, where can the folks find you? On Facebook, you can find me under Troy Hensley. Same with Instagram. On TikTok, you can find me under the Troy Hensley. Same with Twitter, uh, the Troy Hensley. I am Sam Wilson. You can follow me on Instagram at scwilson underscore actor. And you can follow NerdShit at the NerdShit Podcast on Facebook and Instagram or on Twitter at the NerdShit. Subscribe to Meadow Wolf Films on YouTube in order to watch NerdShit News, which uh, the first episode of that should be up as, as of the uh, release of this. And uh, we're going we're gonna to be doing one of those once every week, uh, kind of keeping up with uh, this, this video show where you're going to see our lovely faces in person as we're going to talk about nerd news uh, that has happened over the past week. So up next, we're stepping back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and we're going to do Thor. We're going to finally go back to Thor, which is it's been a while since we've uh, gone into the backlog of those movies. But I'm really excited to get into that particular movie and have a discussion on that one. For Zack Schneider and Troy Hensley, I'm Sam Wilson. Thank you for joining us for Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Stay shitty, nerds. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Strap on it, cause we're talking about the mansion